morning comes from John uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. These are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. It's a delight to be with you all. And um, I didn't bring Pam, but I brought my son-in-law, Josh. Um, so it's always a great time for us to get to talk a little bit and find a cool place to eat after we are here together with you all this morning. But uh, I've been looking forward to this and um, actually chose the topic um, that I'm going to speak to you on this morning with Andrew about well, just before he went on sabbatical, and uh, so a little, a little over three months ago now, I guess. <clears throat> and um, didn't realize it would become the hot topic in the news that it is now, because the idea was, you know, you guys are supporting us in our church plant, and I give regular updates related to that, but I don't normally get a chance to tell you about my day job, the full-time job, which is with CareNet as Executive Director of Church Outreach and Engagement. So the idea was I wanted to share with you a little bit today what I do in that role, and rather than give an expositional message like I normally would, towards the end I do want to sh share a couple insights that will lead into communion from Luke chapter 1. The scripture reading is from um, John chapter 10, which we're going to talk about pro-abundant life. And um, I want to give you a different paradigm to think about than you're used to thinking about, that often makes light bulbs go on for a lot of people. And I think the biggest thing I'd like to communicate as we get started together is this is not about politics. It might seem that, but my biggest challenge in doing what I do for CareNet, especially with pastors and churches and engaging them on this issue, is to delink the issue of abortion with politics and relink it with discipleship. If I can do that, I can get on with things, you know what I mean? If I can't do that, it's very difficult. So I'd ask just based on your trust for me, I don't care who you voted for, I really don't. I, I have no political agenda. I'm actually not even a culture warrior, believe it or not, even though I'm part of CareNet. I'm a minister of the gospel. I get very excited about pro-abundant life, which we'll see, where Jesus talked about 
in John chapter 10. And I want to give you a different paradigm to think about this issue on that I think that you'll, you'll uh, find very engaging and definitely has some very practical implications for Kenneth. Um, so, um, Jess and I are going to be best friends this morning. We're going to work together because I, I normally have a clicker for this, but she's, we're going to work together. So, Kenneth's um, mission is here, acknowledging that every human life begins at conception and is worthy of protection. We offer compassion, hope, and help to anyone who's considering abortion. Practically, we do that through about 1,200 pregnancy care centers across the country and some in Canada. Now, sometimes in our culture, people will say to me, well, what happens if somebody comes to a pregnancy center and um, they hear some of the information presented and they still choose to get an abortion? Well, that happens all the time, and if they come back, we love them and present them the same compassion, hope, and help we did the first time. You know what I mean? We're, not, we're here to manipulate people. Choice is the gift of adulthood, right? Only Jesus changes hearts. So this is one of the first things to understand related to what I said first about disconnecting this with politics. This is not about political power, and Jesus did not call us to take the hill with political power. He called us to change hearts through the Great Commission. Amen? Amen. And so I'm a Christian minister, and I'm solving for heart change. I'm in it for the long haul, whoever takes office, Whatever legislation comes down the pipe. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, in saying that, next slide. This is our growing family. Okay, so part of what I'm trying to do, and part of what pregnancy centers are trying to do, is to help people sometimes in their crisis understand what they might be saying no to that they don't even realize. The, the, mo the greatest, most fulfilling thing to me on planet earth to date has been being a father. I've learned so many things about God, but even now, the friendships, as my kids have come into adulthood, and now, can you guys believe this? My first grandchild was born when I was here as a member with Pam. And now we have six and one more on the way. It's a secret, but you know, I'll let you know that. One more on the way. So it's full, it's rich, and when that life gets connected to healthy churches, and gets connected with the flourishing of the gospel, that, friends, is a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen. And we have all those pictures on our iPhones that remind us to be the best version of ourselves some days when we want to give up. So, um, I want to begin by asking kind of a, a fun question. What's the most famous unplanned pregnancy in history? <laughs> Again, for any of you theologically astute folks, this is from a human perspective. Because you could make the case from a heavenly perspective, it's, you know, it's the most planned pregnancy that's ever happened before. But anyway, Mary is visited by an angel Gabriel who tells her she is to give birth to a son, Jesus. And a couple more slides on this. So why did her unplanned pregnancy not become a crisis pregnancy? Well, the reason for that is because God also sent an angel to Joseph, instructing him to be a husband to Mary and a father to Jesus. And so, why, why did this again not become a crisis pregnancy? Because God didn't just give Jesus a mother. He also gave Jesus an engaged father to be a provider and protector of the family. A good example of that, what happened and who was there to help 
when Herod ordered all these children under two to be killed? Well, Joseph took his family to Egypt to protect them. So, I want to talk firstly about this design that God has for family. As a role for fathers, the holy family was holy family. So, one of the things that the pro-choice movement and the pro-life movement have in common often is they don't like dads. <laughs> so, um, on the pro-choice side, often it is we got to get dad out of the way because it's her body, her choice. Okay? It's not his business. On the pro-life side, he may be encouraging her to have an abortion. So again, we've got to save this baby, so we've got to get that guy out of the way so that we can get to talk to her by herself. Now, that's not good for either of those positions, because here's what the research shows. Women are most likely to discuss their decision to terminate their pregnancy with guess who? And sadly, next slide, it's not the church or the pastor. This is kind of sad to me. Look at this at the bottom. Someone at church. One percent. Who's the top? The father of the baby. So if I want to influence somebody on the decision, it probably would be good for me to try to engage the person that's closest to that decision, right? The only thing that's closest to that is maybe a medical professional. That's what the research shows. So I want to talk to you today about pro-abundant life through this lens. And again, from the scripture that was just read, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So again, pro-abundant life. Life from God, yes, includes the protection of preborn life, but getting connected to the flourishing of the gospel in the local church. So, here's the, here's the framework for this, and what I want to do in our time together is I want to talk about this first pillar of family, and I want to talk about the second pillar over here in a broad sense as far as church, and then more specifically laser focus in on this uh, discipleship piece. So, um, first of all, the first pillar of family. <clears throat> Let's think about this for a minute. So here's a child, conception, on the horizontal line to adulthood or into adulthood. And you see how the, the needs that that child has and physically, emotionally, spiritually, all those things go up as they get. Some of you experience this now that you're trying to launch your kids and you're having to pay for college and uh, weddings. I finished some of that. It took a while to pay off Josh and Emily's wedding there. But you feel the stress, right? during those, those years particularly. Now, what I want you to think of, next slide, is see that little teal part at the bottom there? That's the window of pregnancy center ministry in this issue, okay? Because that's, okay, and again, one of the things that happens in pregnancy center ministry is you have the same guy or girl, usually a girl, coming back for the same services over and over, you know what I mean? Um, that's a sad thing. But that's kind of where it is. If you have a mom who's coming in with a three or four year old and you're, he's still in diapers, that's kind of a problem on another level, right? So I mean, pregnancy ministry, it can only go so far related to helping people. 
So, what, in God's design, next slide, here's this missing support, and it's that missing support that is real that a lot of times folks who maybe don't have a problem with abortion at all, they don't have any protections in place for preborn life, they'll point to that. These, this is real. You know, like, look at all this missing support that you have and what you're going to be saying no to if you don't consider terminating this pregnancy. That's all the missing support. It's not related to this. So in God's design, that missing support, he made husbands, you know, when he had Mary, <laughs> there's a Joseph that goes with that. So we still believe that the modern family can be informed and instructed by the manger family. So we think about these normal things that we do even with playing with uh, manger scenes, you know, with our kids. We're teaching powerful things about God's design for family, even when we're doing those things formatively with our children. So this is God's design, God's ideal. Okay, we know that the world is not always working like that, but that is God's ideal design. Now that's family. So, often when we talk about two reasons to object to abortion, we'll talk about the sanctity of life, the Imago Dei stuff, that we are created, we're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. But we also want to see that we should object to abortion because it's an assault on the sanctity of marriage and family as God designed. So, next slide. Here's the research that again gets ignored if we don't talk about marriage, and this is one of Caridet's convictions, because I'm a minister of the gospel. So I want to talk about marriage and God's design related to this whole issue as well. And it fits the research, because 86% of women who have abortions are unmarried. This research is from the, the research arm of Planned Parenthood, Guttmacher. Okay? Matter of fact, all the research that I'm presenting, except for that first slide, is from them, just because I think it gives even more credibility to make the case. 86%. Next slide. So that's the pillar of family. Now this pillar of church on this side, that's unpacked this using the same bell curve. Same thing. Here's that missing support that's needed, right? That's real. What is God's design for the church? Here we are. <laughs> Churches do a lot of things related to supporting people in these areas. Let's give a few examples of this. So let's take pregnancy centers first, and then we'll talk about the big ship of the church. So pregnancy centers, they are domestic missionaries, like even the ones that we support near here. They have three different locations. They do amazing work on the front lines to support, but they're like a speedboat, you know? They can get around, maybe they can share the gospel, maybe they can bring some short-term support, you know, a lot of times they have these real nice rooms that they have different resources that they can give to help, like diapers and formula and things like that. But there's only so much they can do. What about the church? The church is more like the SS Compassion. They take a big ship, it doesn't turn quickly or do anything quickly, right? <laughs> People like Andrew know well, and the elders here, that the only person who likes change is a wet baby. That's Mark Twain said that, right? <laughs> So nothing happens quickly as far as healthy culture change in the church. However, look at all these things that healthy churches can bring to help people and support people in times of crisis. 
I think of my first job, it was through a relationship I had with somebody in my local church. You see what I'm saying? There's just all these different things and ways that churches can help. That's what God designed. We can't look at this issue in isolation. Now, um, <clears throat> about 2016, Karen did a national study with LifeWay, the, the Southern Baptist, the research arm of the Southern Baptist at the time, and they found out that nearly two out of five women were attending a Christian church at the time of their first abortion. Now, isn't that interesting? This is such a private, hidden issue. If you look at the research, this is the same from Guttmacher. At the bottom there, this means 54% of women having abortions identify as Christian. So it's hidden and private, but it's happening. And what happens usually is sometimes there's sin involved with a decision like that or some type of circumstance that somebody doesn't want to share or they feel ashamed about and the church is not always good about not being judgmental. So people hide it with an abortion, they leave the church, and then no one ever knows. And this, I'm just telling you what the research shows related to some of these issues now. We just did a, a brand new study related to men in this issue very similar. Five out of ten men were attending a Christian church once a month or more at the time of their first abortion. It's not just an issue out there, friends. The research shows it's here in our midst as well. But it's private and hidden. So that stat, effectively that one, you know, two in five women who have their first abortion were attending church at least once a month at the time of that abortion, that led to the creation of this Making Life Disciples resource, which is at the center of the practical ministry, again, not politics, practical ministry that we do. And now I want to do one last thing with this drawing. Is we've talked about family, the pillar of family. We've talked about the pillar of church. Now I want to laser in on the discipleship issue. Look at this verse from Matthew 28. Therefore... Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I command you. This is church planning, but it's also just church, right? Um, you guys have been a great supporter of our church plant, which is now 18 of us that meet you know, regularly for worship and are in a house and are heading towards getting at leasing a space this fall. So I... Grateful for that support, but this is really what we do, right? We preach the gospel, we baptize people into this thing, and then we spend a lifetime in the messiness of teaching them to observe all these things that Jesus, that's why people like Andrew, they need a sabbatical every once in a while. It's pretty tough stuff, right? Um, you do miss Andrew, don't you? So I miss him. We would, we would have uh, lunch you know, once a month or so, or, I look forward to catching up with that. But anyway, being a good pastor is hard work. And teaching, and, and the elders, the leadership knows it can be messy doing this. Now, let's look at this discipleship piece. These next two slides, if you don't get anything else from what I say this morning, please get this. This is the key concepts here. Churches, our first allegiance is to the gospel. A pregnancy center, if it's a parachurch ministry and not just some pro-life version of Planned Parenthood, 
is just transactional, right? Planned Parenthood's model is transactional. Thank you, come again, right? You, you exchange some, some money for a service, and if you need that service again, you, you come for that. Pregnancy Center Ministry, if it's a parachurch ministry, it's thank you, please don't come again, right? We love you, but we hope we don't see you back for the same type of service. We'll serve you if, if that's the case, but it's not, it's, it's transformative, right? We hope we're, we will bring people into the flourishing of the gospel with this. A church, our primary mission is to make disciples. A pregnancy center, if it's a parachurch ministry, its primary mission is also to make disciples. As a church, we're, we're long-term. Pregnancy centers are short-term. And then one of my big things close to my heart, anybody who reads my blog regularly, along with the home, the local church is the primary conduit for passing on Christian faith. The home is the primary conduit for passing on Christian faith. We, we sometimes get that flipped where families support churches. No, churches need to be supporting families in their responsibility of passing on the faith to, the, to their children. For pregnancy centers, they're domestic missionaries with a specialized focus. Okay, next slide. So here's the big slide, okay? Here's the concept, friends. It gets real practical. Long-term discipleship cannot happen in pregnancy center ministry. That's why a connection to a local church is critical. We must invest time, get messy, and work together to figure out how to build bridges that are relational and effective. The goal must be to see moms, dads, and the child growing inside of the mom to have all of them become disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you see how that's different than just delegating a certain issue to a local pregnancy center? So this is tough, because I have to sell this to churches, I have to sell this to pregnancy centers so that we're not just going about as business as usual, but we are beginning to work together to build bridges between their clients and healthy local church discipleship. Do you see how important that is, friends, based on what we've been talking about this morning? Because this is the dirty secret of pregnancy center ministry. You have a poster child, usually it's a girl who's been impacted by the services of that pregnancy center legitimately, but often if you follow those stories three or four years later, that person, usually a female, is back for the same services with a different guy. They're still a disciple of the culture. They haven't become a disciple of Christ. Does that make sense? We don't, making abortion illegal may do something, we'll find out. But making abortion unthinkable because there's heart change, then we're getting somewhere. Amen? Whatever your perspective on this issue, we should be able to agree with that. God changes someone's heart. In our family, you saw our pro-abundant life. There's a lot of people in that Christmas picture there. There's brokenness there. My mom's had a divorce. You know, we all have brokenness within our families. But there's beauty there that God created. And none of my kids, when they got pregnant, had the thought, oh, I wonder what the law says related to abortion. It was just reflexive. They love God, life because they love God who created life. Does that make sense? 
So, and they, they love people. So I want churches to lead with life on this issue. I, um, I want to transition here. And let me, I'm going to, I'd like to just skip to one last slide, uh, Jess, which is the, um, the video. I want to show you a two-minute video because my heart these days is to try to engage millennials, my kids' age, and Gen Z on this issue because I don't think we're discipling into this space. You know, there's a price churches pay for this don't ask, don't tell policy on some of these hot cultural topic issues. You know what I mean? We, we just, we've got to disciple into these space. But let me just show you this uh, trailer that we have for Making Like Disciples that just came out in its 2.0 version. And then I'll say a couple things and we'll transition to Luke chapter 1. So I'd like you, if you would, to turn, let's say about five minutes before I finish up here from Luke chapter 1. And kind of a call to action, I think, just practically from what I've shared with you today is that site, makinglikedisciples.com, you can go to that site and you can experience the first one hour, there's 12 one-hour sessions, but you can experience the first one at no cost. And just to get a feel, if this is something you'd like to go through, I'm trying to get these churches to be points of compassion that are trained partners to work with local pregnancy centers as bridges to discipleship, if that makes sense. 
If you want to go through the whole course, it's like $15. I think that's it's very inexpensive. We're a nonprofit organization, but makinglifedisciples.com, you can experience the first session. Uh, it just takes one hour. So Luke chapter 1, I want to make three quick, very simple observations related to things that we know well but haven't thought about from this lens. And Luke chapter 1 is a long chapter. That's why I didn't have it used as the scripture reading this morning. But if you look in verse 34, I want to say mention three things just about empathy, relationships, and then the gospel. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel when she was told about this child that was growing inside of her that turned out to be the Christ, she said, how will this be? So she had her own crisis related to this as far as what am I going to do here? What has happened? And I think sometimes we need to understand, if we really understood the reasons that women and men would consider abortion, again, go to Guttmeier and look at the research related to that. You'd be very surprised, and it'll, it'll change your perspective on this issue and have some, have some empathy for what people are facing. Even Mary had her own crisis of faith to work through. Even Joseph did, remember? Second thing. That's about empathy. The second thing is about relationship. Immediately we learn from Luke chapter 1, verse 36, that Mary goes to her cousin, her relative, Elizabeth. And she stays there, verse 56, for what? Three months. Very important thing. Relationships are key in a crisis. So again, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to strengthen the relational connection. How effective do you think it is for a pregnancy center to hand a person a piece of paper and say, hey, you might try these churches? How often do you think that's going to work? No, it needs to be relational. We need to have some type of relational handle. That's what we do. Empathy, relationships, and relational support. And then I love this when Zechariah gives his prophecy beginning in 67 down through 79. He gives a definition of the gospel that I think laser focuses us on what it means for our church to be a central point of compassion in our community toward this issue. And it begins in 76. Talking about John the Baptist's role, because this is the child that was growing inside of Elizabeth. You know the story. And Zechariah says, And you, child talking to John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So what are we trying to do post-row? We're trying to prepare churches for something that's still going to be a crisis, because if hearts aren't changed, people will still want to get abortions. Do you, does everybody get that? doesn't matter, again, if you're a Republican or a Democrat. That's just true. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, just like good churches do. And this is the definition of the gospel that I love. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. Good news is another name for knowledge about salvation. Okay? And we're going to get what, what that is now. Number one, the end of 77, the forgiveness of sins. That is the central part of the message of the cross of Christ. 
the good news that we preach, the Apostles' Creed that we say on Sunday morning. And what is the second part? Because of what? The tender, the tender. That's everybody's attention. The Lord must want us to pay. This is, this is really important because in verse 72, he repeats to show mercy, right? 78, because of the tender mercy of God. What if, what if our churches, rather than being places of judgment, could be places that express the tender mercy of God to people wherever they are, wherever they find themselves, whatever circumstance? Amen? So I'm here to serve you. I'm the national guy, and I have to live close to you, and you support our church plan. So whatever you want to do in this issue, I'm here to support you in this but if you have interest, if the Lord speaks to your heart about that this morning, check out makinglifedisciples.com, that first session. And I will talk to you in a minute about something with this related to communion.